The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to the show and welcome back to your studios and your personal lives post-conference if you were one of the attendees. Uh, Again, conference was an incredible experience for me. Uh, I got to learn a lot, I got to make new friends and catch up with old ones, and I got to actually buy some jewelry in the expo this year. I bought a bunch of Pupil Hall jewelry. I'm really excited uh, to get that into my, my display cases for the first time. Um, if you were in an attendee at conference, I, I really want to try to keep you focused on that positive place, you know, what you learned, who you met, the great experiences you had that, that can enrich you as a body piercer. But as someone who's been to conference many, many times over, I also want to give you a little bit of perspective that you don't have to try to change your entire studio the, the first day you're back. Um, I remember conferences where I, I learned things about different safe practices, hygiene, jewelry techniques, cross-contamination, studio layout. You learn so much at conference that it can feel really overwhelming. Um, You don't have to do everything day one. You don't have to go into bankruptcy uh, to buy everything in the world on on day one. You know, try to make a list, try to prioritize the things on that list and slowly start to fold them into your practices, to your studio, uh, to your, your career. Conference can be really overwhelming in a lot of different ways. So try to pull back a little bit and look at that perspective of this is just kind of one chapter in uh, in your career and your journey as a body piercer and, and try to make the most of it and try to try to keep that positive energy there. Try to carry that energy with you uh, throughout the coming year and hopefully we get to see you at conference again next year. Uh, the interview that I have for you this week is with a piercer named Jasper Volk. I met Jasper at uh, one of my first seminars that I ever did. They invited me to come out to their studio in New Jersey pretty pretty early on into when I was a, you know, air quotes, professional instructor. Really enjoyed the experience with their staff. They have a, a great crew over there. Really cool studio with a lot of history to it. So I really appreciated that uh, opportunity. And I've been kind of keeping tabs on uh, Jasper's career through through Facebook, you know, that kind of social media contact. And um, I really wanted to sit down with them face-to-face in conference and, and record a conversation. Sometimes when I bring guests on, I have a, a really specific topic in mind. Sometimes I just like who the person is as a piercer, and I want to just kind of give them free reign to talk about whatever's on their mind. And that's kind of the, the route we went with uh, Jasper's talk. And their suggestion was to talk about uh, piercing kids, which I think is massively important because it's it's not something that I've always been comfortable with. Uh, it's something that I had to develop and I really had to work on as a, as a professional and as I became a somewhat more mature adult, uh, I've, I've gotten better at those things. I've gotten better at taking care of small children if they want to get pierced in my studio. So I think it's really important to share perspectives uh, like, like this on, on this topic. So it's a great conversation. 
Please keep in mind that it's very difficult to find uh, an unused room at, at the APP conference. So we started out in one area uh, early in the morning. It was pretty quiet space, but as the the conference crew started to wake up, the volunteers started to wake up and, and get to work. We found out that that was the room where everybody kind of uh, met and got their their morning coffee and their their breakfast and their snacks and got ready for their day. So we had to kind of move into a quieter space to let them get to work. Um, I ended up finding this room down the hallway that was just like a storage space room. All the interviews I did were uh, Tuesday and later in the week. So at that point, it was just the deflated pool toys from uh, the the opening pool party. Uh, so this this whole conversational experience, listening to this interview, I'm just brought back by this like smell of like vinyl pool toys and, and cardboard boxes and stuff. But it's a great conversation. Uh, there will be kind of an awkward transition when we pack up and, and move to a different room, but it's a great talk. So please stick around for the, the whole thing. Uh, and I'll be back a little bit more the end. Thanks. So um, we're here in uh, a, ra- a random room. And just so people listening know, uh, you're going to hear the door from time to time because this is a, a room for um, volunteers to grab coffee or just like get some water or re- recharge for a second. So there might be some some doors opening in the background, but it's a busy conference. So there's not really going to be a lot of quiet spaces. Um, I have been coming to a conference for quite a while. Is this your first conference or have you been to conferences before? This is my third conference. Your third conference. Okay, great. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself, name, any social media stuff you might want people to have, studio information, and then we'll get going. Awesome. My name is Jasper Valk. I'm a piercer at Pleasurable Piercings in Hawthorne, New Jersey. You can find me on Instagram at Jasper Pierces. And you can find the studio at Pleasurable Piercings on Instagram. And it's a, a cool and historic studio, too. It is. Uh, I, I appreciate you inviting me to, to do some education there a few years back. And it was just really cool to see, like, you know, a framed, like, our jewelry was used in Strangeland poster and, like, just cool little stuff like that. It, it's really awesome to be in the middle of that history all the time. Occasionally, yeah. you'll go back and look for a jewelry invoice and then find more history, like advertisements from the 1990s and things like that. That must be pretty cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you were one of the people that I wanted to get together with and, and interview a conference. And um, I asked what you might be interested in. And, and the topic of like piercing kids came up, which I think is super helpful because um, how, how, how long have you been piercing? I've been piercing for six years. I've only been piercing children for about two years, though. Okay. Um, I took a really long time before I started to undertake that work because I know that kids can really read you, and mm-hmm. if you're not confident, they won't be either. Sure, they'll run so, right over you. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of waited to be ready, but the first time I ever pierced somebody who was really young, about six years old, was because my coworker had an emergency, and I was like, okay, I'm going to wing it so this kid's not super disappointed, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I'm not... I don't know if you would consider yourself to be like a comfortable around kids person. You know, I don't have children. I don't have the desire to ever have children. Uh, I don't have any siblings, anything like that. So I, I, I don't feel super comfortable around kids. But I had so many parents contacting me and they wanted that service. And, you know, if you're if you're turning down people for that service, what's the alternative for them? And a lot of times it's like an accessory store kind of a thing. So, um, you know, I, I started within my comfort zone, piercing like young teenagers is pretty natural for me, but then I started to bring it down to like, okay, maybe I'll try some uh, older preteens, you know, 10 to 12 kind of thing, and then maybe a little bit younger, a little bit younger. I've landed on my comfort zone of about six and up. Everybody's got their own comfort zone. 
Um, and now, like, I, I love it. I love it. I think I've developed it as a skill just like you would develop a skill for any other aspect of body piercing. And now, like, I, I really pride myself on being able to give the, the parent and especially the child a really positive experience and kind of set the tone for their body and their ownership of their body and, like, the, the concept of body modification and what you can do with it maybe later on in life. And I, I just love being part of, of someone's life in that way. So what, um, what are some of the things that you think about as far as like children's piercing? Because like you've got some concepts about how to support the positives and avoid the negatives and stuff. So what are some of the things that pop into your mind with that topic? Uh, I think the first thing is centering the piercing, just like you would with any other person that you're piercing. I notice sometimes that the parents are so excited or they're so nervous for their child mm -hmm. that they try to kind of take the front seat. Um, so establishing that it is an experience entirely led by the child who's being pierced mm -hmm. rather than the parent. Um, and sometimes I'll have the conversation where I'll tell a parent, you're going to be very uncomfortable because they may be uncomfortable, but we're going to let them be in charge of their own experience. Mm -hmm. If their experience is one where they need to express their feelings, don't try to stop them from feeling their feelings. Yeah. Um, I'll spend a lot of time validating a kid who's being pierced. Like, yeah, it is really scary to get your first piercing, but I'm going to be here with you the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'll start every interaction I have with a kid by asking what I'm doing for them. Mm -hmm. I will never assume what it is that they're here to see me for, because if they aren't specifically looking to be pierced, and that's not something I'm aware of yet, I'd like them to tell me um, so that we can do it at a time when they are more ready for it. So so what? how would you handle a scenario? I, I do something similar where when they come in, one of the first things I want to do is introduce myself to the, the family unit. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'll be taking care of you today. What's your name? Oh, what are we doing today? Are we piercing your earlobes? How do you handle the scenarios where maybe the child is, you know, it's an adult environment a lot of times, you know, we, we try to make it as, as friendly as possible, but it's an adult environment. Sometimes it can be really intimidating for a youngster, especially if that's the first time that they've physically been in the studio when you're introducing yourself. So how do you interact with the child when they do that kind of shield themselves behind the parent or when they're maybe not responsive to, to questions like, hi, what's your name? What are we doing today? And they, they kind of tend to shy away from you. How do you, how do you, handle a scenario like that? I'll usually get on their level. Um, I, I will kind of squish down and if they want to talk to me from behind their parent, I'll still talk to them and be understanding. But I will wait for them to actually approach me before I kind of get any closer to trying to have the conversation with them. Mm -hmm. um, and usually if you validate that um, after they've said what they're interested in, but they're still kind of hiding, if you validate that it's kind of a scary experience, yeah. it's something where um, sometimes they'll open up, especially um, I'll kind of joke with them and be like, hey, I'm not just going to sneak up and pierce your ears. Yeah. And once I get that little laugh out of them, usually they'll come out. Okay. Um, and once things get a little bit warmer, I'll ask them if they want to look at earrings and their options for jewelry so that um, they're a little less focused on the piercing for the moment. Yeah. And I'll lead them through the whole process step by step. Mm -hmm. um, so after I take their jewelry to put in the statum and autoclave it, um, I'll explain that I'll be back to talk to them about aftercare and that there's going to be a 
consent form to fill out that saying that they're giving me permission to pierce their ears. Yep. Um, but once we get in the piercing room, I'll also explain that they can revoke that permission at any time. And if it's right for them to get pierced another day, or if it's right for them to get pierced two different days, that sure. I'll work with them. So I, I feel like we have a lot of similarities in the way we do it. Number one will be the interaction. And, and for me, I, I've, I've found that um, I've, I've changed my business model a lot during COVID and uh, I have a lot more, not necessarily downtime, free time, however you want to phrase it, but I, I just call it specialty service time where it's days where I'm not piercing adult clients, teen clients all day. Uh, I'll go in on a, on a Sunday when we're typically shut um, or maybe a morning or an evening appointment, something like that, where it's not like the, the beehive activity of everything else going on. So they're not even more overwhelmed. You know, it's just me focusing on, on the one client and then the, the one parent. And uh, they come in, I introduce myself, talk to them a little bit. And then what I usually do is I say, oh, why don't you come on over here and we'll, we'll take a look at jewelry. And I, I, I really try to just talk to the, the child. If I'm going to have a lot of interaction with the parent, I would kind of prefer it to be ahead of the appointment, whether it's on the phone or whether it's email. I have a lot of information on my website to kind of prepare clients for the, the process of getting their, their child pierced in my studio. And when they come in, I really want to have all my focus just on the child. And I, I, I don't want to like goo goo gaga talk to them. I really want to talk to them like a, an adult. Um, what's your favorite color? What do you like? And get them like looking and getting them excited about like this cool addition. And um, while I'm doing that, while that, while the child's checking out the jewelry, that's usually when I'll be like, can I see all the paperwork that we need? I just want to make sure we have all the stuff. Like for me, I require an ID even for the, the child. So, you know, school ID or, um, you know, something like that, some sort of photo ID. So do you have that? Do you have the birth certificate? Whatever. The parent is preparing that thing and that almost kind of keeps them occupied, distracted in a way where they're not going to be trying to take over the process from the child. They're not going to force them through a jewelry selection or, or something like that because sometimes parents can be really overwhelming. Like I've pierced clients sometimes for, for years and then they've brought on their child for me and it's, it's almost like they're a different person because they're trying so hard to kind of protect their child in a way and give them a good experience but they might be overwhelmed in their own way. So how do you interact with, with parents whether it's like right when they, they come in the door or, or ahead of time? So ahead of time, I'll only book these piercings through email to make sure that I block off ample amounts of time mm -hmm. um, to make sure that if someone needs additional time or if someone has a lot of questions that I have the time to focus specifically on them and give them the best experience possible. What would you say is like your average service length? Mine's about um, 45 minutes for an appointment. About 30 to 45 minutes depending. I have a lot of support staff okay. um, available to me. so. Not the entire process is one that's um, gone through by me, so I can walk them through jewelry selection or discuss aftercare with them while someone else is getting their documents straightened out mm -hmm. and making their paperwork. Okay. Um, I do more of like a one-on-one a -on -one kind of a vibe. So awesome. yeah, I think it would definitely be helpful to have that support staff, but on my specialty days, I'm usually giving other staff the day off. Brilliant. Um, I, I'll book these services any day, but I'll try to avoid later in the evening. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. I noticed that kids who are a little bit tired are a lot more easily overwhelmed as we're working with them or going through even the process of talking to them about prepping their ears. Mm -hmm. Sometimes 
um, kids who are tired are already going to be a little bit more emotional, a little bit more easily overwhelmed from what I've noticed. Yeah. Um, in discussing the piercings with the parents, I lead saying that piercing experiences in our studio are driven by consent mm -hmm. and that if someone decides not to be pierced, they won't be pierced. If they decide that they need to be pierced in different sessions, then they will. Mm -hmm. And that this is only at the discretion of the piercee. So I make sure to prime the parents and prepare them for the experience of possibly not doing things the way that they imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think sometimes, especially if it's an adult, especially one that's already have that, that already has experience with, you know, your studio in particular, they might just kind of expect that it's, oh, it's just the exact same thing, but just for a smaller person when it's really, you have to kind of create a different experience to make sure that the child really feels like they're in control and they're not just being kind of shoved through it by a parent. So for, for me, you know, I, we do the jewelry selection. Um, if the parent tends to kind of like really push me in a certain direction for jewelry, sometimes that can be a little bit awkward because I'll, I'll talk to the, the child. And uh, for, for me, I'd say my, my biggest seller for, for children would be like the little neo-metal flower end pieces. I absolutely love them. So absolutely. a lot of times with that, the, the child is drawn right to that. And then the conversation is really just like, okay, well, which color do you like? Uh, and sometimes the parents are like, oh, but wouldn't you rather have this? And wouldn't you rather have this? And wouldn't you rather? And it's just like, let's slow it down a little bit. And then it, like I try to just focus again on the child. Well, which one do you like? What's your favorite? Oh, that would be great for healing. I love that color too. And I really want to talk to them and, and not so much. I'll talk to the, the parent as much as I need to give them whatever information they might want. Um, sometimes like they might think like, oh, well, would that be the, the greatest little thing for them to be like an accessory, you know? Like, um, I don't know how to best art articulate it. Sometimes the parent has the idea of what they want the look to be and not what they want, like, I don't know, the wearing experience to be in a way. I want the kid to, like, look in the mirror and get that big glowing smile and be like, I love it. Yeah. Whatever it is, as long as it's something safe, like, that's what I want. And if the parent's just like, well, get something that'll match everything. And it's like, this isn't a fashion conversation. This is about like what they like. And if they want rainbow, if they want opal, if they want whatever, it's like, that's what I want them to get. So um, do you ever find it to be difficult, like choosing jewelry with children? Occasionally. Um, I notice that a lot of parents will try to push their children through neutrals. Mm -hmm. and. Kids, CZs or white opals yeah, all the time. Kids don't have the same social expectations that adults do. Right. They're not um, thinking about matching it with their shoes or their whatever. Right. And they, they have the opportunity to be as wacky as they want right now. So um, a lot of times I'll have kids choose two wildly different colors and... I'll even point my own ears out because in my own jewelry selections, while my jewelry is coordinated, none of it's symmetrical. Okay. Um, so... I'll make sure that they know that it's up to them to choose, even down to choosing two individual earrings if they'd really like to. Um, and I think the beauty of the threadless jewelry, a lot of times if somebody comes back for a new piece of jewelry, um, I'll have them keep one of the same end and choose a new one for their other side. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that kind of centering the conversation back to what the child is interested in. Just like, hey, the, those might be great earrings for mom. Yeah. And 
leading them to focus on making the choice that they want. Um, I'll kind of gently ignore parents sometimes. Yeah, that's a great. Too. That's a great phrase. Gently ignore. Like I'll make yeah. I'll make eye contact and I'll nod, but I won't respond. Yeah. And I'll go right back to speaking with their child mm -hmm. because it's their child's experience and not theirs. Yeah. Um, so, so, quick question: What's the what's the youngest you're comfortable piercing? The youngest I'm comfortable piercing is generally five. Okay. I want to ensure that aftercare is something that my client can participate in and mm -hmm. understand sure. um, and I know everybody's needs are different. I have had five-year-olds come into the studio and had the discussions with the client where we never even made it into the piercing room because I've had that with 10-year-olds yeah. yeah where it seems like hey you don't seem like you're ready to get pierced today um, if we can't focus on aftercare then we're not going to be ready to take care of and heal our piercings mm -hmm. so when you're ready to try again definitely let mom or dad know and they'll send me an email and we'll get set up again great that's a great way to phrase it um, I have I have some information on my website to kind of prepare the, the parent and a big part of it is this is again I, I don't use the exact same terminology but it is very much consent driven and I put it in there it's like you know if, if, if your child decides that that's not the right day for them then that's not the right day for them I'm happy to reschedule you whether it's a month or a year from now whatever it is but it really has to be their experience and like I personally don't care if you had to drive an hour to get here or if you have a wedding next month and you need them to wear a certain you know get clip on you know it's just like this is their experience and if, if they're not ready for the experience uh, whether you are ready or not or whether you feel pressured or whatever it's it's irrelevant to me it's like it's it's your child's experience and I want them to leave happy whether it's with or without a piercing I want them to leave happy um, so I choose the jewelry and then uh, you know I use stab pad I use a digital release form and uh, so I'll take all the photos of documents, I'll explain what I need on the, the release form, I give them a few minutes to, to read and go over that while I'm getting my jewelry in the statum. And then with, with an adult client, um, it would be, okay, now let's go into the piercing room, perform the service, do you have any questions? But with little children, I really kind of changed the thing where it's like, now it's going to be just aftercare as much as you want. Before we get to the release form, um, I'll also say like, you know, read my aftercare online before you come in. Here's a brochure. Do you have any questions before you fill out the release form? That kind of a thing. Like, I don't want to surprise anyone with like, hey, you can't go swimming tomorrow. Um, but I'll get the jewelry loaded in the statum. Then I'll come back with a brochure with all the jewelry sizes and healing times and all that stuff written on it. And then again, I'm going to talk to the child because I don't want it to just be explaining it to the parent and then the parent is responsible for all of the cleaning and aftercare. I want the child to understand like you can't touch them and you also can't have your friends touch them like when they think they're, they're cool, you know, uh, this and that. So how do, you, how do you present that kind of information? I'll present a little bit of an abridged aftercare in the email consultation okay. where a lot of the things that people might not expect and a lot of the basics are covered. So I make sure that everyone knows that they'll require daily maintenance, that sometimes routines are going to have to be altered. For example, that if somebody showers at night usually, they can't go to bed with wet hair that anymore. That is such a huge, I'm so glad you brought that up. It, was that something you had to learn the hard way, or did someone teach you that? Um, I, a little bit of both. Um, it's something that someone taught me, and something that I didn't realize I wasn't troubleshooting. We were discussing it in aftercare, and at a point, it kind of clicked where I was just like, "I'm not asking about this." Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to learn it the hard way, unfortunately, because oh, no. again, I was a you know, an, an adult piercer, a teen and adult piercer, and. Uh, it, it never, there are so many different things 
um, that I feel like I'm much stronger with now because now I, I try to think about the client's perspective and the client's lifestyle and not just like assuming that everybody showers in the morning like I shower. Not assuming that everyone showers when they bathe. Sometimes it's yeah. in a tub, you know, all these different things. And especially with youngsters, they're kind of on their parents' schedule. In the morning, it's get them up and get them out to school and I'm off to work. And at night, it's, okay, dinner and bath time and doing whatever with hair you have to do or something. So I really had to learn that the hard way through troubleshooting over and over and over again. And um, I, I, I was never fortunate enough for someone to just be like, make sure they go to bed with dry hair. I had to learn it the hard way. And it took a lot of, a lot of clients that had a difficult healing process for me to learn, to learn that lesson. So that's a fantastic point for you to bring up. I also make sure they are aware they shouldn't be submerging the piercings and that there should be an expectation that their ears are not to be touched yeah. by them, by their parent, or by anybody else mm -hmm. to make sure that as they're considering this, that I don't kind of break their heart when they come in, when I discuss aftercare with them yeah. and they find out it's not the right time. Yeah. Um, throughout the pandemic as well, I have been mentioning that the ears need to be protected from mask straps so mm -hmm. that they're prepared for that. We have ear savers in the studio and we yep. instruct everyone about how to use them. But prior to having that conversation in advance, sometimes it seemed like something that the clients would see as optional yeah. and a step that wasn't something that was important to their healing and I don't know about you but I can see it if somebody hasn't been protecting their ear they right have away kind of pressure bump in a yeah. certain direction where you can really tell that the backing is being pushed by the mask or pulled by the mask Absolutely. in a certain direction that was another one of those things where I, I think I caught on to the ear saver thing pretty early in the pandemic. You know, I, I just 3D print them myself at home. Nice. I give everybody like a, a little baggie of them. You know, like anytime you have to wear a face mask during at least the first two to three months, go ahead and wear this, even if it's only for five minutes, even if it's only for this, because I think that was the more common thing where people, I, I'd be like, well, are you wearing the ear savers? And they're like, well, yeah, most of the time. But if it's just like a quick little thing, and it's like, no, 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 it needs to be all the time. Like you have two sides to that healing piercing. You can't have something touch the front like your hands, but you definitely can't have something touch the back either like the strap mask, uh, the mask strap. So that was another tough one. Um, I want to step back a little bit and talk about the, the, the wet hair issue because um, I, I got to a point where the first time I saw what happens to an earlobe that just constantly stays wet while they're sleeping and all that stuff, and I had no idea what was going on. It was like, is this a material issue? Or have you been like being sneaky and cleaning it with something you shouldn't? And like, it's really just, you know, if you have wet hair, um, also if people are cleaning their piercing right before bedtime, and then they're pressing those ears against the pillow and they're trapping all that moisture there, a after a while, bacteria is going to feed on that moisture. Maybe it might even become a, a fungal issue. You never know, you know? So I really have to hammer it home. And like, I really do hammer it home. Um, before time, like on the website, when they come in and I do my quick little like, any questions, okay, like let's cover this. And then with the aftercare, it's like, this might sound like I'm being redundant or I'm, I'm being excessive in my explanation, but I really need to drive home the fact of how important it is that everything is dry before bedtime. Your hair, if that means changing your schedule for bathing, changing your hair for hair washing, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, you need to change it up because that was the most common problem that I was running into with kids. And it almost got to the point where I was like, do I even want to pierce children anymore because I see this problem and I never see it with adults. Um, so did you have that, that issue with troubleshooting? Did you have to learn that the hard way? 
A little bit of learning it the hard way. Um, I had at Fakir Intensives, I believe Becky Dill had mentioned it. I'm going to need it. A few moments later. Okay, so we had to move rooms a little bit because it got a little bit noisy. So there might be kind of an awkward transition. Um, but we were talking about really having to focus on like the wet hair issue. And um, for me, you know, I, again, I had to learn kind of the, the hard way to do that. And I was getting these bumps and I was trying everything that I would try for adult troubleshooting. Um, how often are you cleaning it? Have you put anything else on it? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you touched it? Have you changed jewelry? Um, and, and all these different things. And then when I got to the point where it was just like, well, I think the big thing for me was like, oh, children wash their hair at the end of the day. And a lot of times children go to bed with wet hair. Like I've, ne I've never really been like a long hair person either. So hair, hair maintenance hasn't been like high on my priority list. But a lot of parents take their children's hair really seriously, do all kinds of like hair care regimens, and a lot of kids go to bed with wet hair. You trap that moisture behind the ear. Um, you also combine that with maybe a parent who's being a little overzealous with cleaning, especially when there's a problem. One thing they tend to do is tend to clean more rather than less. So again, that's just adding more moisture. It's almost like you know fanning the flames in a, in a way for, for a problem. So now my aftercare, I have to, at least three times during aftercare, I really have to drive home like dry hair, whether that's like changing your schedule for when you bathe or whether that's using a hair dryer. Um, don't clean the piercings right before bedtime. Give yourself at least an hour for air drying, but everything has to be dry before bed. Okay, great. Don't forget, everything has to be dry before bedtime, this and that, and I just drive it home, drive it home, drive it home. And now that problem is essentially gone. Um, but that was one of the, the really tough things for, for me. So um, do you find that your aftercare is sufficient to avoid that problem or do you feel like you have to do anything else? I feel like aftercare is sufficient to avoid that problem if all of these things are stressed, but mm -hmm. occasionally we'll still have somebody come in. I'm not a parent, so I don't know what it's like to try to maintain a kid's schedule, mm -hmm. but I am aware that if things get stressful or if something about the day-to-day -day routine changes, sometimes the aftercare routine will change. Yeah. And that troubleshooting for kids can be a little bit different, where it's just like, okay, when did this start? Mm -hmm. Did anything change at that point in time? Did they start to have a new activity? Yeah. Did something about their schedule change? But something I notice is that stressing the importance of drying is huge. The anatomy of a kid's ear as they develop, it seems like as we grow and as we age, our ears get a little bit farther from our head. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I am looking for where to mark these piercings on the back of somebody's ear when they're smaller, it almost seems like there's almost nowhere to put that where the librette with ample space to swell wouldn't touch their head in the first place. So okay. I really drive home that point of drying mm -hmm. just to make sure that those little nooks and crannies between kind of the inside of that flat back librette aren't just- Like a swamp. Uh, yeah, like a little tiny triangular swamp. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, Sometimes it would get really frustrating for parents too because they might not, there, there were points where I, I feel like the parents kind of stopped believing my ability to help troubleshoot. Uh, it was like, well, you know, we, we've tried 
this, we've tried this and it's not helping. So we're just going to pivot to a doctor who's probably just going to prescribe antibiotics and, you know, say like, well, don't go back there or something like that, you know? So it has been a, a pretty steep learning curve. Um, I find that now it, it's, it's not so much an, an issue at this point. Um, do you find that like the demand for children's lobe piercing pretty much drops off in the summertime? Because I, I have that because one of the things I also had to learn the hard way is emphasizing, well, no swimming for the first four to six weeks at least, you know? Uh, and now a lot of times if I say that right on the website or if I say that in the first contact that I have with the parent, it's like, well, okay, we'll wait until the fall because like we have so many different summer activities planned. Do you feel like you, you get like seasonal waves of earlobes? Definitely. Um... There will still be interest in the summer, but there will be a lot fewer appointments because once they have the information that they can't swim, that's generally something they want to save for the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the past few weeks, I've probably done about two sets of earlobes for younger people, and those were both people who expressly didn't like to swim. Mm -hmm. I also noticed that surrounding holidays, there are a lot more, a lot more requests and I make sure at those specific times of year to vet a little bit harder where I I ask if the child's been asking for the piercing in mm-hmm. the first place before I'll offer them an appointment. But it seems like back to school because of all the piercings that we're not doing during yeah. the summer is a huge wave of them and then surrounding different holidays okay. as well. Yeah. Something else that I that I also try to wrap into my first contact is uh, if, if they're in, involved in any sort of like sports seasons or dance or something like that, uh, I find that a lot of children who are in like, especially like dance troops or whatever, are kind of expected to wear matching earrings to outfits and, and things like that. So I really try to emphasize, for, for me, I tell people to wait about four months before they'd start thinking about changing their own jewelry at home. Um, and sometimes that can also change plans. Sometimes people are in, you know, cheer season or, or whatever, you know, different activities, sports where they might have to wear a helmet. So that's another thing where uh, I, I want to talk to an adult also about lifestyle factors or, like, you know, leisure activity uh, factors. Um, but with, with kids, I really have to kind of drive it home in more of a way because sometimes the parent might not be thinking about that. They might be almost so tunnel visioned on like, you know, oh yeah, they'll have a nice piece of jewelry where it's like, okay, but all these different things that are in like this complicated childhood life, you need to kind of factor it in. And sometimes people have to target like, well, I only have this six week or or 12 week window within a year where I I think it would actually be appropriate to heal ear piercing. So sometimes that comes up. That's been a, a bit of a learning curve for me too. That can be a really tough conversation to have, especially with folks who do sports all year round, where they'll have this four to six week window in between seasons and having the tough conversation where you're telling your client, hey, this really isn't going to be a long enough period of time for this to heal. Mm -hmm. And if you need to remove these, it could lead to complications. If you try to cover these, it could lead to even more complications. And having the conversation with someone where you're telling them that healing piercings doesn't necessarily fit every lifestyle at every point in time can be a really challenging thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going back to the customer experience, they've chosen jewelry, they've handled a release form, they've handled like the 
you know, I, I kind of refer to it as like, you know, I'll give you the, the short version of aftercare, the highlights, and then we'll go over like an in-depth version. So I, I, I either do it at the front counter or I bring them into the piercing area. Sometimes I find that it's really helpful for me to do the, the long aftercare uh, speech in the, the piercing room. So the child has some time to just acclimate to being in there. I don't necessarily want to do everything up front and then bring them in and it's like, okay, now right into the scary part of it. Yeah. I want to bring them in, go ahead and have a seat up here. Um, I'm also very firm in like the, the parent is a, a witness and not a participant in the process. So I have a chair and they have to keep their bum on the chair. When it comes time to actually do the piercing, I'm fine with them standing close enough to hold hands. I'm fine with that. But for the conversational parts of it, for the aftercare part of it, I really like the, the parent to sit so that they're not trying to kind of dominate the energy of the room because I want to be able to have that like one-on-one -on -one with the client, look them in the eye and talk to them about aftercare. And like, you know, I'll, I'll look at the parent also and be like, you know, you're, you're going to need to participate in some of this aftercare or monitor it also. But I really want like the child to feel like they're the one in charge in the room. I want them to get like kind of a, a the lay of the land and, and feel the energy of the room and have it be positive and not just like, have them retract and have them in like a defensive position or something. So we'll go over the aftercare. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, Mom or dad, do you have any questions for me? Okay, and now I'm going to start. I, I really try to be a lot more vocal than I am with adults also. Adults, sometimes depending on somebody's personality, it's, oh, do you have any questions for me while I'm setting up? Nope, okay, cool. Bam, 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 bam. I'm just gonna get to it. With children, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna wash my hands, make sure there's no germs, anything like that. And, oh, do you have any questions? Oh, and do you wanna, and then if they're just like really retracted, like I also have little decorations in my shop, sometimes, you know, pop figures and things like that, that might start a conversation with a kid. Um, I find that if it's around a holiday, like Christmas or, or something like that, or if they mention that it's near their birthday, it's like, oh, did you get any cool presents? What, what'd you like? Or if they mention a, a pet, What's your pet's name? You know this, and I, I try to get them talking a little bit so that they're not just kind of like sitting there counting down to terror in their mind or something. So, yeah. do you have any sort of like little tricks that you use? The process where I lead them into the piercing room, I ask them if they want to come with me, mm -hmm. and then I'll lead them in and kind of get them settled. When I am washing my hands after I explain that I'm going to do so. I tell them that we'll have more steps that we'll go through and we'll do everything step by step. But as I'm washing up, I'll start to ask them kind of getting to know you questions. Mm -hmm. um, what's your favorite color? What do you like to learn about? Mm -hmm. um, do you have any pets? Um, asking them about their pets further, I notice gets them to open up a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm a a big fan of Hello Kitty. So a lot of the kids coming in are already like, wow, Hello Kitty's a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say that I have like a kid-centric piercing room, but there are definitely some things in my piercing room that are centered to kids' interests that I also share. Yeah. And after I get washed up, I, I don my set of prep gloves mm -hmm. and I'll put all of the prep I need in my hand and I'll explain what everything is for and the order we're going to use it in. And then every single time I approach them, I ask them which side I should go for first. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see that occasionally kids will always want you to prep or mark their left side first or always their right. Okay. And sometimes they will send you back and forth. Okay. And I, I find it's like 
almost an interesting game to play with them and it also helps them know that they're really in control of this experience. That's a great idea. One, one little trick that I like to yeah. do, you know, I'll, I'll set up, open everything, and then when I get to the point where it's marking, um, before I even approach them, I, I find that I almost have zones. The zone that they're in on the client table is one zone, and then my zone where I'm setting up is another zone. I don't want to cross into that zone without their almost invitation to do it. So then I'm going to have my, my gloves and I'm going to be ready to mark and I'm going to say, well, I'm going to put some marks on your ears and you can check them out in the mirror and make sure I did it right. Would that be okay? Yeah, okay. So then then I enter the client zone of the room. I come yeah. over to them. I do the marks. And what I find is, uh, you know, I, I mark with a toothpick and gentian, you know, whatever people want to mark with is cool. Uh, and I think that anything that looks like it might be pointy in some way can be intimidating to a, a child. So sometimes I found them at, at first kind of retracting from, from marking. So now what I like to do is I say, oh, I'm just gonna put some marks in here. And then what I do is I just draw a little smiley face on the palm of my glove. And I say, like, oh, it's gonna be really easy. You're not gonna feel anything pinchy. I'm just gonna put a little dot on you and you, you can check it out. I try not to say mark. Um, I try to say a dot because like, I think for a child, that terminology might help them, help them understand a little bit faster, but I'll mark. And then sometimes depending on like the mood of the child, I might be like, boop, you know, like do a little yeah. thing like that. And then um, I'll be like, okay, why don't you go ahead and take a good look in the mirror and make sure I did it right? Just as in like a thing like, you know, you need to check the adult to make sure that the adult, no, don't just assume that the adult did it right. Um, and what I also do is the client, uh, the client's parent is still gonna be in the chair. And at that point, what I try to do is I almost turn my back to the parent and I kind of like guide, not physically stepping, but like, you know, with my hand movements, kind of guide the child to go and look at the mirror themselves take a look at the marks and make sure that they're happy with it. And then as, when they get up and take their first step, then I turn to the parent, and I'm gonna have you double check it in just a minute to make yeah. sure I did it right, okay? Because I don't want the parent to just get up and crowd them and then you know like take over the, the process. So the child checks it out and I'm like, oh, you sure you, you, sure you like it? Did I do it right? You want me to do any different marks? No, you like, okay, cool. Why don't you have mom or dad double check them? And then like they'll look and then, you know, if we need to remark or do whatever, that's fine. But for me, it's really all gotta be about like, the kid needs to know that they're in control. Yeah. Yeah, that empowerment's really important. Yeah. I make sure that they know that they need to like the placements of their piercings first and yeah. that if they want me to change anything about them to let me know. And if they like them, then show mom or dad to double check. Um, after marking, for me, I, I prefer to have children lay on their back. Um, so I'll say, okay, I'm gonna have you lay down right here. You know, I put down a little drape to where their head is gonna be, and like, why don't you go ahead and put your head here just like it's a pillow, just lie on your back. And then at that point, I'll let the parent stand up. They can come over into like hand-holding space, but they have like their one specific side on the client table. I have my specific side, and I wanna make pretty firm boundaries to the parent. Like, I'm gonna have you stand right at about their waist height, and I'm just gonna have you stay put right there, try not to crowd in. I don't want anyone to take, take photos during. Sometimes parents wanna kinda of mark the occasion by documenting all of it, and I always try to tell them if they have their phone out at all, pictures before and after are fine, but I prefer not during, is that okay? Uh, just so that they know, like, you know, don't take out your phone and try to take pictures or video for grandma or whatever right in the middle of the process because that takes away some of the focus from the child, you know? So I have them lay down and uh, at that point I say like, oh, I'm gonna go ahead and clean your ears a little bit. It might feel a little bit slimy. It might feel a little bit gooey. You know, I try to like kind of give them sort of a, a, a sense that like this isn't gonna sting. You know, it's not gonna be something scary or anything. It might just feel a little slimy. You might feel a little tickle kind of a thing. And yeah. that usually works pretty good. And I, I find that, um, 
constantly like vocalizing like is that okay you know, you're gonna feel my hand is that okay if I put my hand right here next to your ear is that all right and I want them to be like yeah 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 and, and something that we were talking about kind of before the interview is just like it's it's got to be constant with a child I don't I don't like there to be um, quiet time quiet space to let them kind of fill that with anxiety or nervousness and I also don't ever want them guessing what I'm doing. I want them to know exactly what I'm going to do before I do it and I want them to kind of be cool, invite it, consent to it, all that stuff. So I know that that's a, a, a big part of, of your process too. So how do you go about vocalizing some of those steps? Um, I make sure that everything I'm doing I'm explaining. So as I am initially cleaning and using alcohol preps on their ears, I explain that it's going to feel a little bit cold and that it might be smelly and if they need to breathe through their mouth then they can. Mm -hmm. Usually the word smelly with certain age groups of kids will get some laughs and yeah. kind of put them a little more at smelly, ease Smelly, well. slimy, yeah. gooey. I yeah, like to use like yeah. Nickelodeon kind of Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm pretty picky about marking and I explain that to them before I start to draw their dots and I will I use marking pens mm -hmm. and I'll draw on my glove or I'll, I'll show them a little dot and make that sort of boop noise that you made earlier and as I'm marking and sometimes remarking before I am happy enough with the marks to let them check them out the first time mm -hmm. I'll ask them if they're hanging in there okay as I'm as I'm marking erasing marking again and usually asking them if they're hanging in there okay while you draw on them with a marking pen they'll yeah. laugh a little bit too um, I usually have kids not quite sitting up, not quite laying back all the way. We have um, hydraulic esthetician chairs, okay. so we'll kind of lean them back a little bit and I'll ask them where they want to start and tell them to point their nose um, in directions mm -hmm. if I need them to turn their head because usually if you're saying like look that way or if you're saying turn your head, kids don't tend to understand those bodily directions as well i've noticed okay. and that's a tip that i got from a tattooer i work with vincent scully who is a parent of three mm -hmm. um, and i was like oh that's great and it works really well just to kind of direct them like point your nose um, when they're showing their parents their marks i noticed that kids turn their heads a lot too so it's like okay point your nose straight to mom's nose point mm -hmm. your nose straight to dad's nose um, and once i have cleaned, marked, and prepped their ears, I'll go into another set of instructions and explain exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. So um, after they're marked, I explain I'm going to set up a sterile field and I kind of make that a little more kid-friendly where I'm telling them this is a safe germ-free place for me to put any supplies I need mm -hmm. and my gloves are also going to be free of any germs so it's safe for me to touch your ears and touch your jewelry. Mm -hmm. um, after I set up the sterile field, I will talk to them about what I call the instructions for getting pierced, and I'll explain that I'm going to hold their ear, I'm going to press on their ear and ask them if it feels okay, and then once I'm holding their ear well and it's comfortable for them, then I'll say, when you're ready, take the biggest breath you can in through your nose, mm -hmm. like you're smelling flowers, and then when I say, um, and then I, I tell them, I'll say to breathe out, and when they're breathing out, I say big pinch, so they know 
when they're going to feel something and I don't surprise them. Right. And I noticed prior to letting them know exactly when they were going to be pierced and feel something, that I was getting a lot bigger reactions. Mm. So um, kind of bringing it to their attention that they're going to feel something when yeah. they're going to feel it seems to keep them a lot more placid. Yeah. Um, but if I have kids who do have a big reaction, I encourage them to feel their feelings and I validate them as they're going through that. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, do, it does feel like a lot to get pierced and it can be overwhelming. Um, but let's take another breath so I can put jewelry in this piercing you've already worked so hard to have. Mm -hmm. And if we get to the point where somebody is having really big feelings or they're overwhelmed or they start to cry, I will start to co-regulate with them. I'll put my supplies down and just kind of stand in front of them and have a discussion with them and ask them what their needs are. Yeah. Um, co-regulating with kids, though, I find it's really helpful to take really independent breaths with them and I'll have my hands in front of me and I'll sh kind of show them what to do. I'll have them inhale deeply and curl their fists up as tight as they can and exhale and release that tension in their hands. And we'll repeat that until I kind of see them calm down a bit. Yeah. And then once they're in a place where it seems like they can answer my questions, um, I'll ask them how they want to proceed. Like, mm -hmm. hey, are you still feeling good about this? Do you want to have your other piercing today? Do you want to take a break? And most of the time, they, after having that big reaction and still feeling in control and feeling safe about that experience, they still proceed. And it's yeah. awesome to watch them work through that. It is cool. I, I've had to, child psychology is probably too strong of a term for, for the way that I handle it, but like I've had to learn specifically customer care for a little person, you yeah. know? Um, when I, you know, so, marking cleaning they're laying down so my preference is you know i have my my tray uh, that i work off of and um, i have the parent kind of on purpose positioned on the other side of the table and i'll say go ahead and turn your head towards mom or dad uh, and then what i'm doing is uh, i've got my sterile gloves on at this point i've got a drape ready to apply i've got my my little jewelry and needle bundle but everything is still kind of closed i I will give, like, if a child asks me to see anything, I'm going to show them. But if a parent is like, what does the needle look like? Like, I, one of the things that I try to prepare the client, uh, the, the parent for ahead of time is try not to use the word needle out loud unless the child uses it first. Yes. Because sometimes that's just going to scare them. I don't like to use sharp, pointy, and I don't like to use those words at all. And if the, the child says, you know, what do you do the piercing with? They'll be like, oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a body piercing needle. I say body piercing needle rather than just saying needle because I don't want to, you know, I want to kind of like give them some logic in their, their mind. Um, but if they don't say the word needle, I don't say the word needle. Um, they, they turn their head and I, I do a couple almost like sleight of hand kind of thing so I can, I want them to know what's going on, but I don't want them to know more than they want to know. Yeah. Um, so. I'll have my, my little bundle, I'll open it, and what I, what I do also is I have an extra piece of sterile gauze. I'll slide the needles over to one side of my sterile field and I'll cover the, the sharp ends with the sterile gauze. So like if they look over, all they'll see is the back end. They won't see something that looks quite so scary. Uh, and then I'll show them the jewelry. I'll pick up the jewelry from that field and I'll be like, this is how the jewelry works, threadless jewelry works like this. I'll explain it to the parent also. 
Uh, you know, once it's healed, if you want, you can come in. I'll show you again how to change it, or I'm happy to do those changes for you. And then once the child sees the jewelry, that kind of like takes away, I think, some of the intimidation factor because like they see some stuff. They know what they're 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 gonna you know be getting, and they're less freaked out by it. I'll say again, like Nickelodeon terms, like oh, this is the cool part, and then the back is kind of the boring part. It's just a little disc or a little ball, but the you know the cool flower, and I really like that. And here's how it works. And now go ahead, go ahead and turn your head towards mom. And then um, what I do is a, a pressure mark on the back of the ear. And I say like, okay, so I'm gonna mark the back of your ear like I did with the front, is that okay? All right, you're gonna feel a little pressure sensation when I put that mark, is that all right? So then I'll do a pressure mark with the back of the needle and I find that, just like you said, like it really helps to kind of ease them into a sensation rather than just having the first thing they feel be pain. So it's that little bit of a pressure mark. How's that, that feel okay? A little bit like pinchy? Oh, it's okay. It's gonna be pretty easy for you. Do you feel like you're ready? Do you want a minute? You ready to go? You know, uh, uh, I'm gonna do the piercing now. Is that okay? And then I just kind of flip the needle around in my hand, carry it through. And if I do it that way, I find that it's so easy and it's so smooth. But if I, I've tried lots of different steps. I tried clamps. I've tried, you know, marking the back with ink versus versus a pressure mark. And I find that this just kind of gives me the the best results. Um, Jewelry goes in and then I say, oh, you're going to hear a little like kind of click sound when the when the front piece goes on. And then once they hear that, it's almost like the tension is just gone at that point because they know they've gotten to kind of a finish line. Um, sometimes, you know, kids have that kind of like wince reaction where they're like, ah, and it's like, oh, I know it's, it's going to be over in just a second. It's going to look so cool. And as long as I can get them through that, maybe like let's say three to five second window, yeah. then I think everything is fine. But uh, sometimes that first one's over and you get that kind of like, fright reaction, cry reaction kind of a thing. And I feel like that's like the probably the biggest branch in like, well, what's gonna happen next? So sometimes it's just like, uh, oh, I know this can be a little bit overwhelming. Do you have any questions? You know, uh, I try not to have them get up and look at the first one. If they really want to, then yes, they're in control of the scenario. And if that's what they want, that's fine. But what I try to give them is, almost like a, a distraction option. Um, and what the terminology that I like to use a lot of times is, is pirate ear. And I'd be like, <laughs> did you want to get the other one today or do you want to be a pirate? And then a lot of times like that just instantly makes them giggle. And they're just like, I don't want to be a pirate. I want to, and it's just like, okay, cool. Well, you, you feel like you're ready to do the second one? Um, and But it's again, it's, it's all got to be like what they want. And if it's to that point where they're just like, I don't want to do the other one, I don't want to do the other one. No matter what the parent says, we're not doing the other one unless the child wants it. So like sometimes that's when the, the parent kind of gets into that like, just just calm down, just relax, it'll be over in a second, just blah, blah, blah. We drove all the way here, I paid the, the deposit, I paid the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if this isn't the day for them, this isn't the day for them. We can always reschedule later. But like I, I find that it's pretty rare that somebody leaves with one. It does happen sometimes, but again, it's it's all their decision. So, how do you handle that fork in the road if it ends up being like they don't really want to do the second one? I ask them if they want to take a break or if they want to go home. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times they'll take the break, and I'll let them decide whether this is a break where we're leaving the piercing room and starting over, mm -hmm. or if this is a break where we're in the piercing room with the fork in the road where the parent starts to kind of overpower the experience mm -hmm. I occasionally will be a little stern with the parent where um, I, I tell them that I understand it's frustrating to come all the way here and probably need to come see me again but they are not my client yeah um, and just kind of reminding them of that boundary and 
that their kid is in control of the experience that tends to settle things down. Um, but when I'm working with a client and somebody else is consenting for them, I want everyone to have a good experience. Mm -hmm. But if placing that boundary and defending the person's experience is upsetting to the parent, that's something I don't necessarily care about. Yeah, same. Um, I've frustrated some parents. I made one or two of them angry, you know. I find that most parents get it, but it's only because I've had to learn the hard way that you need to prepare the client for the, a child-centric experience. It's not an adult-centric experience. It's it really, it's not goo goo gaga, but it's not just like, you know, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what you have to do, done. You know, it's like, I don't know how to really describe it. Yeah. Candy energy, you know, some, right. something nicer, you know? Um, so if it's like, well, you know, we just want the one, and it's like, that's perfectly fine. In some scenarios like that, then the business decision kind of becomes more difficult than the client management decision. Sometimes it's like, well, like I, I ring people up at the beginning of the process, not the end of the process. So it's like, well, you know, um, I can refund the, the one piercing fee, but um, what I do ahead of time also is they, they prepay a deposit rather than just like um, the self-book system on my website is like you enter a credit card to protect against no-shows. But for specialty services, you prepay a deposit one of the piercing fees. And no matter what happens, if I put on gloves or use anything, I keep that piercing fee just for the supplies and the time and all that stuff. So, But if it's a scenario where they leave with one, I'm happy to refund the other piercing fee because you didn't get you know, a second piercing. Um, the jewelry is already pre-purchased, so like I'll send you home with that extra piece of jewelry. I can always re-sterilize it and I can pierce you with it in the future. But do you have to like do anything special if it's a scenario where they're they're coming back and not getting the second one that day? Um, our system allows us to put a note in, and generally I will credit the account for the whole service. Okay. I haven't had an issue with someone not being okay with that, mm-hmm. and I, I tell them there's no expiration date too. Like if if they need a couple weeks, a couple days, if they need a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I phrase my own experience being pierced. When I was five, I had my right ear pierced and I didn't have the courage to pierce my left ear until I was about 11. Okay. So I explained that it doesn't matter to me how long it takes them to be ready for it, mm-hmm. that I'll always be happy to help them kind of follow through with that. Yeah. Um, is there anything we're leaving out for the process? I think we've covered just about all of it. You know, when we get to the finish line where somebody has piercings, you know, at that point, it's really just kind of like uh, that that feel-good moment of like, how are you feeling? Do you want to check them out? Yeah, okay, just don't touch them, but go ahead and take a look. And just like feeling that energy of like, yeah, like that's that's yeah. the whole reason why I like to do it. Um, sure, there's like a financial side of it, just like any, any professional service, but like um, not being like a... a a kid person like it it feels really good to be able to provide that because like my first piercing experience was getting pierced at, at a Claire's and I didn't I didn't care for it you know same yeah so um, sometimes I look at it as like well if I'm piercing this six-year-old like what happens when they get to 16 or 26 or 60 and they want a nose piercing or a whatever piercing you know like I want them to have that memory to fall back on of like I had this great experience when I got my earrings when I went and Ryan did them, I went and Jasper did them or whatever. Like I, I, I want to be that person in their mind where they're like, the person who pierced my ears gave me a really good good experience because like 
in a way, we're kind of ambassadors for body piercing and we can kind of show people and be this positive experience of like, this is what piercing can be. It's not just like the sit in a, a mall accessory chair and then maybe one day when, when they grow up and they choose to have a kid, um, then they might kind of think of it as like, I want their, I want my child to have that same kind of experience. And it's just, I really like being part of people's lives in that way. Definitely. Um, I think that making sure that the experience is as positive as possible for them and as empowering as, as possible is really important on multiple fronts. Mm -hmm. If they ever decided that they wanted to be pierced again, if they became parents and their child decided to be pierced, and also getting them familiar with the idea that they are in control of their own experiences with their body is really important. There are plenty of conversations that people can have about consent and about voicing their boundaries with their own body, but there aren't as many opportunities for some people. I think people who have siblings definitely have a little bit more of an opportunity to be like, that's my body and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But having the opportunity to say they are not ready for any part of the process, to say that they're okay with it, is something that's really important. And I think what we haven't covered is the experience where somebody believes that they are truly ready to be pierced until they're in the piercing room or until they're marked or and they're confronted with the reality yeah, until you're pierced. you know until you're actively getting ready to pierce them and i make sure that the people who tell me that they don't want to be pierced understand exactly how much courage it took them to do that mm-hmm. um, after somebody's pierced i'll ask them if they feel really brave or if they're really proud of themselves and Um, I'll, you know, kind of gas them up and be like, you should be, that took a lot. But when somebody decides not to be pierced, I make sure that they understand exactly how much courage that took because it takes just as much to say, I'm not ready to be pierced Mm -hmm. as it does to be pierced. And when they leave, I also tell them that they are going to be the only person who is upset that they have left without a piercing. Mm -hmm. Um, I thank them for telling me what they needed. And I explain that their parent is not going to be upset with them for that. So that's also kind of priming the parent's reaction. You know, I I feel Um, like that's probably something that I could do a little bit better because in those scenarios, the rare scenarios where a child comes in and whether it's at the the front door, the counter, the piercing room, wherever, when they make a decision where they don't want where they're not ready to get pierced that day. Sometimes I just kind of like, I let the process carry out as quickly as, as they want. Like if they want to be out of that space, if they want to be out on the street and go get ice cream or something like that, I let them go at their own quick pace. And I try not to like do like sort of like a an exit speech or something like that. It's just like, right. here's my card. Whenever you're ready, you let me know. And then they're kind of out the door. And maybe I'm creating a scenario where maybe the parent has an opportunity to be like, oh, you wasted my time today. Like maybe I need to do a better job of vocalizing in those scenarios where the child decides that they're not ready. Because I don't really do anything like that for them. That sounds like a great idea. I think it's a great platform that we have to make sure that their experience is as empowering as possible um, when they make that choice. Because I think sometimes a parent won't be thinking about the action that their kid just um well it's a very adult thing for them to admit like i'm not ready or i don't want this the way i thought i wanted it that's a very adult thing and it's it's probably something that i mean i and maybe other piercers could do a better job of 
drawing a point of, you know, because I don't want it to turn into a shame thing where it's just like, oh, I'm a baby and I, I, I couldn't handle it. Like, I don't want the parent to turn it into a shame thing either, where it's just like, oh, they were too scared. It's like, it, right. it takes courage to say yeah. you're not ready. I don't want anybody to leave and hear that they wasted their parents' time. Right. Um, also, if a parent ever suggests that my time has been wasted in front of their child, I absolutely go against what the parent says, where it's yep. just like, I've been really happy to meet you. It's been great to teach you about piercing. Right. Um, but I think that it's important, no matter what our experience is, working with a child who's seeking piercings, whether they're pierced, whether they just choose jewelry and come back, or whether they decide that they're not going to be ready for a while, that they leave having a good feeling about what just happened. Yeah. Um, there have been scenarios where the decision of I'm not ready today happens right in the, the client area, right in the client space. And I have had some parents be like, oh, he, this guy's busy. He'd be, and it's been like, no, 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 it's perfectly fine. Like, this is your time. Like, I don't have 10. Of, that's why I like to do it in, in a specialty service day because yeah. I don't have 10 other people waiting. I'm just here for you. It's It's perfectly fine. It's okay. If today's not the day, that's fine. We've at least talked about aftercare. We've talked about jewelry and, and you'll be a little bit more ready when, when you're ready, you know? Um, I also have uh, the treasure chest. Uh, they, nice. they, they sell these for, for dentists. You can get a little cardboard box that actually looks like a treasure chest. It's just full of like cheapo toys, you know, bouncy balls and like lizards and stuff like yeah. that. And in a scenario like that, if someone like, if they feel kind of like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm almost disappointed in this moment because you know, I, I'm deciding that I'm not ready or I'm leaving with just one. It'll be like, well, that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, do you want to take a look at the treasure chest anyway? And like, you know, they'll pick a toy and then like they leave with this big smile on their face. And um, I also use it as a quick little thing of like, if the parent has been a bit like spicy during the thing or if they're one of those like, oh, do you waste my, I make sure that I give the kid a really loud and obnoxious toy, <laughs> like a whistle or something like that. And it's just like, you know, you got to learn your lesson parent that like, you know, this is their experience and not your experience. Yes. But yeah, you know, like I, I enjoy it. I, I'm learning as I go. Uh, I feel like I am, you know, a skilled body piercer, but like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a skilled child piercer now also. And, um, you know, another thing that I, I think just, just culturally, I think it's really important for kids at a young age to, to be informed that they're the owner of their body and they're in charge of it. And they're in charge of who gets to have access to it, to touch it, to modify it in any way. Because, you know, maybe sometimes kids are in that kind of um, cultural thing of like, you know, oh, come sit on uncle's knee or, you know, give grandpa a hug or something like that. And it's like, well, if they're not a hugger, like, why would you want to force them to, to do that? So it's all about like, you know, I'm not going to touch you until you say that you want me to mark you or pierce you or, or whatever. I'm not just going to come up and just like give you a hug when, when you know, you're not receptive to that or something. So I think it's really important to treat children like just small adults and not like babies. Um, and I think that it's it's really powerful to to be part of someone's experience and like have them like leave like really proud that they got to go through that very like adult experience. Like I really just love being part of it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think talking to kids, I tend to have my bedside manner voice the whole time, mm -hmm. but I will just talk to them like I would any other client. Oh, sure. I'll it's soft the way I talk to them, but I don't, I don't exactly. dumb things down for them. Right. Like, I don't want to make them feel like I'm seeing them as anything other than a client. Yeah. 
And I also don't want them to be, I don't want them to be made to feel like an accessory to their parent. I don't want to have all the conversations and all the eye contact and all the everything with the parent. I want to have as much of that you know, eye contact and conversation with the with the client, with the child as possible. I also want to make sure that the parent gets their good experience too, because I know just like it can be really really powerful for a family member to be part of that. You know, it can be a big like step in, in, in life as a parent and as a child. So I want to make sure that the parent gets a good experience out of it too. But the client, the child always comes first, you know, so um, I've had to learn a lot of things along the way. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there are a lot more considerations to make in that specific experience than some other experiences where everyone should have a good experience, but one person is really centered while the other person is not so much. And I notice occasionally it's tough for parents not to be centered in that experience. Yeah. Um, but in the initial contacts, um, through the email consultations, I make sure that that is the parent's time to like be centered and yeah. I encourage them to ask me any questions that they have or voice any concerns that they have mm -hmm. prior to the appointment. Yeah. Sometimes you also have to kind of give them like a, like a concept of like what it is that you offer because like if they're not already a client of your studio they might have a, a preconceived notion of of what the experience will be based on you know their their personal experiences as, as an adult and i think it's also really you, you have to set those boundaries of just like this is what i'm offering this is specifically not what i'm offering yes. you know it's it you, you can't have 10 people in with you, you know, like I really have to be able to focus my energy on them. They're going to drive the, the, the process. You know, I'm there to make sure that it's all safe, but it's also got to be consensual. And, you know, if you have any questions or like, you know, yes, let's talk about if the child is ready, but like, are you as a parent ready? Because yeah. this can be a big thing for you too. And, you know, maybe if you're not ready or if maybe if you need to just have like a one-on-one -on -one phone call with me or a Zoom call or something like that, so you can kind of get a sense of, what the process will be for your child because sometimes people might be a bit overbearing or clingy or, or have a difficult time releasing that um, kind of control over over their child you know sometimes it might be an emotional thing for the for the parent also to kind of like allow someone else to interact with their child in that way i notice in the piercing room occasionally there is some shielding we have to do from dynamics mm -hmm. too um, just the other week I'd had a client who was completely placid and having a really good experience and mom kept interjecting and being like don't you think you should give her something to hold etc and it's just like well she seems pretty placid right now so yeah. I think we're just gonna let her continue to lead this experience yeah. um, another thing I noticed if the parent suggests holding the child's hand I tell them that they're welcome to come hold their hand if the child asks for it. Sure. Because occasionally that dynamic of the parent kind of taking control and that comfort kind of being forced on them mm -hmm. makes the kid a lot more likely to be really emotional throughout the experience. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with being emotional. Yeah. But they shouldn't be pushed into being overwhelmed just because they're feeding off of their parents' emotions. That is a great, I'm glad that you brought that up because sometimes I find that it happens almost, and like, again, I don't, I don't want to be gender centric on any of this stuff because I, gender is really irrelevant when it comes to this. But I'd say kind of frequently if they come in with dad, sometimes their energy kind of falls into like, you know, oh, kind of a, like a squirmy sort of a thing because they want to get that 
almost attention from from the parent, you know? Um, so sometimes, yeah, I do have to kind of like leave it to the child of like, oh, do you want mom or dad to come up and hold your hand? And they're like, no, I'm fine. It's like, oh yeah, you're fine. You're, yeah. you're a big kid. You're brave. You're ready, you know? But if they're just like, yeah, then it's like, okay, well, come on up here. This is just where you're going to be, parent, right here, you know? But yeah, that's a great point to bring up. You don't want to just like assume that every child wants or needs their hand held. Sometimes they're a big kid and they want to show that they can do it on their own. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point to bring up. Um, with... Something that I definitely forgot to mention in the process too, with any instructions that I have, um, I'll ask questions instead of giving commands. So mm -hmm. can can you sit back all the way? Can you let your head touch the chair instead sure. of sit back all the way, let your head touch the chair? Right. Um, that that space is really important to constantly remind them that they are in control of. Yeah. 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 That's great. I think this was a great talk um, and part of it is just it's like almost when you go to a class and you have that like um, that confidence wave wash over you where it's just like oh, you know I feel like I am doing some of this stuff right you know like it's really good to hear your process and like how you've developed your process and it makes me feel like I'm doing some of this stuff right because it sounds like you've really got it down and it sounds like you're really creating a positive experience for your clients and like if there are piercers out there who are still kind of in that like, you know, I'm intimidated by piercing little kids, I don't know if I'm ready, then that's that's perfectly fine. You don't have to offer that service if you're not ready. Just like genital piercings, surface piercings, if you don't feel like you're ready, then you don't have to, you know, force it. But, um, you know, hopefully an in, in, in interview, an episode like this can can help those people that are kind of on the fence because for a long time, I wasn't offering the service because I just didn't feel like I was ready for it or like I was confident or that I could provide the right service. You know, for a while I was just like goth metal guy, you know, and now as I've kind of matured a little bit and I can kind of see other people's perspectives a little bit easier, I feel like I can do a better job of providing some of those services. So um, hopefully this interview can, can help some of those piercers out there who might be kind of in that intimidation or, or discomfort phase when it comes to, to children. Yeah. It's definitely a space that can be intimidating to try to get into. Yeah. And I find it important to remember that kids are just smaller people than us mm -hmm. who are also way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also like, you know, we can also be such like a, a, a life changing thing for someone, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to guess that if, if we flash forward to the APP conference 10 years or 20 years from now, there are going to be people telling stories about like, well, I was inspired to become a body piercer because when I was a kid, I, my parents brought me to a professional piercing studio and I had this amazing experience and I want to be able to provide that for someone in the future. So there are probably going to be kids that grow up that you pierced and like you inspired them to become a piercer, you know, or, or other piercers out there. And I just think that that's like, that's the, as corny as it sounds, that's the magic of body piercing for me. And I love it. I just love being part of that. It's mind-blowing to think about that. Yeah. I'm like kind of getting emotional thinking about I am that too. too yeah. Because I never wanted to be a piercer before I had that first great piercing experience. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, so thank you for having this conversation. This is a really fantastic conversation. Thank you for having me. Um, so again, just for the people, um, who are you? Where do you work? What's uh, the way that they can contact you? I'm Jasper Valk. I work at Pleasurable Piercings in Hawthorne, New Jersey. My Instagram is at Jasper Pierces, and if anybody has questions about 
this specific process or would like to have a discussion about it, my email is jasper at pleasurable.com. Okay, great. Well, thanks for talking to me. Thank you. All right. Thanks for talking to me, Jasper. A really important subject. I've been piercing so many earlobes. You have to think like you might have more clients, more individual clients for something like a nostril piercing, but they're not all getting two. Um, a lot of those earlobe clients are, are pairs of piercings or multiple piercings. So I, I think earlobe piercings are probably the most frequent thing I'm doing in, in my studio. So uh, I've got some plans to make a narrated piercing video about some of my tips and tricks for earlobes. Get that up for you at patreon.com slash ryanpba. Uh, currently, you know, kind of in unison with working on these conference podcasts, I'm also working on a needle bending video. I'll have that up soon as kind of a companion piece to the, the needle crushing, needle modification video. How to put different bends on uh, needles what tools you need, what tools you don't necessarily need. You can do some of this stuff by, by hand uh, and, you know, different ways to apply uh, bent needles safely. So go ahead and keep an eye on uh, patreon.com slash ryanpba for that one. If you're one of the new Patreon signups, thank you so much. Check out all the information that's available on demand for you on there, and I'll have some new information coming for you as soon as possible. I also kind of want to steer people towards ryanpba.com, specifically for the newsletter. I got a lot of people asking me at conference like, hey, what about seminars? What about webinars? Uh, There's a lot of information coming. I really want to get a a live webinar set up for my understanding and applying bevel theory information. I should be having something like that available for late July or early August, Uh, but the best way to keep tabs on all that new information is by signing up for my newsletter at ryanpba.com. So go ahead and sign up to that. You'll have all the information about whatever live seminars, live webinars, different conferences, different scholarship opportunities all through that newsletter. So go ahead and sign up there. I'd love to see you do it. I'm probably going to be taking next week off because it's a holiday weekend in the U.S., 4th of July weekend, and I really just need uh, a little time to breathe, honestly. But I'm going to work on the rest of these conference interviews for you. I'm going to record some new content with Lola and with a few other people, get that up for you as soon as possible, and keep cranking out that information for you at patreon.com slash ryanpba. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.